Hi, Jamil. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Nadia. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Right. I haven't come up with the name for my show yet, but let's right. say Nadia Kugroshova's show. Yeah. Something well, like this. I like that, yeah. Right. So I want to introduce you, Jamil. Uh, Jamil Sheikh is a founder, CEO, author, professor, and community builder. Heads up, it's going to be a very long intro and very well-deserved. Jamil founded uh, Syphon, formerly Chainhouse, in 2016 as a blockchain and AI advisory, education services, and products firm. He's a founder of CBDC Think Tank as well. He has over 30 years of experience in capital markets, banking, and technology, having worked for organizations like J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Citigroup, and Lehman Brothers. Jamil is an adjunct professor at Columbia Business School, Zicklin Business School, CUNY uh, School of Professional Studies, correct? Uh, Zib's uh, Business School in China, where he teaches graduate courses on blockchain, machine learning, and AI, and is innovation fellow at Columbia Business School's Lang Center for Entrepreneurship. That's already very impressive, but that's, that's not the end of the story. He currently runs AI New York City and Blockchain New York City, the largest blockchain community in New York City with over 40,000 local members hosting events like DefiCon, CBDC uh, Summit, and um, he's also running popular portals like blockchain101.com and Currency Insider. He's author of best-selling book, Mastering Quarter, upcoming Cambridge Handbook on Law and Policy of NFTs and Finance 3.0 with Columbia University Press, and a forest contributor writing on blockchain and AI topics. Jamil holds an MBA from Columbia University's Business School and um, Bachelor of Business from mm -hmm. Baruch College, and is completing his second master's in artificial intelligence from Georgia Institute of Technology. Wow. Right. That's that's great. Uh, welcome. Thank I'm really you. glad to have you here. And uh, on top of it, um, I'm really glad to name you my friend. Yes. And Absolutely. I love our conversation. So I thought that it would be great to share it with a broader public. So that's really a lot. So let's just begin with how come you're able, you're capable, you manage to do so many things um i don't know <laughs> like I, I don't know any other way and i could i could attribute it to maybe and i've been analyzing because a lot of people say that how can you do so many things and i think it's a combination of like having some very dark years in the past um where um maybe i thought i lost everything in many different ways financially personally and things like that and that darkness um kind of maybe gave me that motivation to one rise above it and so in order to rise above the darkness you do need to use a lot of you need to have a lot of strength to come out right. of it right um and then once you build that strength then you've also built momentum in coming out of it and then at that point oh, i'm like okay maybe there's no reason to slow down right mm. and so <clears throat> coming out of that and i think there's you know um i've analyzed myself and i think as a child or, you know, when I was younger, um, there's this, um, you know, you have this low, low self-esteem. Uh, self I think right. we all have low self-esteem, but maybe mine was significantly lower than the average. Um, I remember going to school and not really thinking I could do anything uh, in life. Um, and that kind of becomes a motivator, right? So like you feeling like you're not good enough and things like that, right? Um, and then... The, the dark times help you to focus, right? So you start to narrow your focus instead of wasting time and saying, I'm just going to do this or I'll do it tomorrow and it's not relevant to any specific goals. Um, you start to push away things that are not important and then focus on the things that matter, like that have a return on your investment, both from a like, and financial point of view and also like personal point of view. Like I'm not going to go spend time um, hanging out with friends and there's no real benefit you know, outcome, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so like all the hanging out went away and all that, just kind of focusing on uh, what I want to accomplish. And that helped me get out of the kind of this funk of like having uh, low self-esteem mm -hmm. and then get out of this funk of these dark days. Um, and then that momentum continued. And it, I built a lot of productivity in that process, right? So in a typical day, I do a lot more than maybe an average person does in a day. 
Um, and that's just the function of like trying to fix things um, and trying to catch up in life. So I got to catch up and I've, these dark days push me behind. So I would say like it comes from a place of uh, this like uh, bad place and then it has turned into something good. And I think that that's the motivator. And for me, I look at like you're reading this, I feel like it's nothing. Like I've accomplished nothing, right? It's like this, it's nothing um, and I'm just starting. This is the beginning. Wow. Ah, I wish, I wish uh, we all had uh, this type of mentality, but I think that that's, that's the type of mentality that actually does push you forward. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's, uh, I don't wish anybody has any dark days, but I think having a little bit of difficulty in life helps you to like um, value the things that go well when they do go well. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I would say now, um, and we had these conversations before, like um, things, I'm very happy and things are going really well. Um, and then, you know, like the businesses that I'm doing, my public reputation is growing and continue, you know, like, and I think that's really exciting for me. Um, so I'm kind of on, on the right track, uh, which maybe 10 years ago I wasn't. And so I think having that kind of maybe negative experience in life is great for a lot of people um, if, as long as they're able to come out of it. And some people can't come out of it, you know. Right. And uh, there was a point in time I thought maybe I'm not going to come out of it. Um, and you said 10 years ago, and I think that's worth mentioning that you're probably not 32, right? Because you right. do look younger. Right. I'm, I don't drink alcohol and all that, so maybe that helps. But yeah, I'm 50. You're 50. Yeah. Did you turn 50 this year? Yes. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. That's awesome. Yeah. And you said it. You do um, probably do more. Um, you said you do more within one day than a lot of people, and this is true. Can you describe? Can you describe your day? Yeah, and this is based on what they're saying. This is not my perception of myself. This is what people are saying to me sure. about um, what I'm able to do in a day or in a week or in a month compared to what they're able to do. Um, and for me, um, I know when I wake up, um, I'm very very excited. Like I'm full of energy. What time do you wake up? Um, every day is different. I just wake up when I want to wake up. Mm. Um, so, you know, most mornings I'll be up by six or um, maybe 6.30. And it's just natural. Like I don't have an alarm clock or anything like that. I'll be up and I'm very, very excited. I'm just eager to like um, attack the day, like get on to the doing stuff in the day. Have you always had this this mindset? No, it wasn't. It wasn't always like that. I think at some point in time we especially when I was working um, in the corporate world, mm -hmm. um, I didn't, like, I will get up, it, there will be an alarm clock and kind of like, all right, I got to go get ready and all that. And, yeah. Did and you work here in the city? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I worked, I mean, everything that I did was in New York City. So it was bank, a lot of banking. Um, yeah. Like Lehman, JP, JP Morgan. So it was a lot of banking. So you, the banking, you show up at work at 8 a.m. And you usually don't leave till around 6.30, 7 p.m. on a, you know, on a good day, like, you know, it could get, it can be longer than that. Um, and I think like, I wasn't very excited. Um, I got my job done and then things went well, I, you know, get promoted at Lehman. I was the vice president um, and things went really, really well. I was winning awards, like employee of the, of the month and all that kind of stuff, but it meant nothing. It, it didn't feel anything. I wasn't excited, but now because I'm building the things that I want to build, mm -hmm. I'm doing the things that I really want to do. Um, and I'm working with the people that I love working with. Um, and that excites me. So every morning now it's like, um, every morning is like a brand new adventure of, of all these things that can occur that day. Whereas before the day was very, very predictable mm -hmm. and that, you know, like knowing what your day is going to go exactly, you know, who you're going to meet that day. You have the performance review with your manager and it's, you know, what you got to do and, and maybe to some degree you're trying to do the bare minimum to keep your job. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't like that. I didn't like to be doing the bare minimum. Um, and if I didn't believe in the company and what their, their mission, but I'm still working there because they're paying me well. And I wasn't, I didn't feel good about that. There was a conflict inside of me. Um, and so eventually I, I decided to leave Wall Street. I left Wall Street 2009, 2010. Um, and I had been there for like, you know, 10 years, more than 10 years. So I left Wall Street, I was done. Um, and 
it was difficult at that time to start a, a business, get, you know, get into figuring out what to do next. Um, and that's when things got a little bit difficult, um, 2012, 2013, 2014. Um, and then by 2018 and 2019, things right. they started accelerating. But like, I think the motivator is if you're building things for yourself, you're going to be highly motivated. Yeah. Um, and then if you start to see a little bit of success, you don't need to have massive amount of just a little bit of success energizes you even more. Like if you make that first sale uh, or you close that first client, even if it's for a small amount of money, a thousand dollar deal, but like really small amount of money, but you close it and you're like, I did that by myself. That is, I think it's a huge motivator. And that kind of built over a few years for me. Right. And um, now I wake up excited. Yeah. yeah. And this is this was the piece of advice that you gave not only to me, but I guess to everyone in general, do something on your own, do something for yourself, like small business, small project, but something that is entirely yours and something that brings you this feeling of control over your life and the feeling of freedom. Right. I think we're all entrepreneurs by nature. Like we all, all humans are entrepreneurial by nature, but it gets kind of beaten out of us because of fear of like, I just need to get a job. I need to pay bills. Um, and so if you can find a way to um, have a side gig um, that can help you accumulate over time, a business, not very transactional, meaning don't just sell something and not build a business, but sell something in the context of that, that sale will allow you to build and grow a business. Build right, a the, value, build right, a build community. Build a value, build a brand, build a team, right? And so if you're selling something, let's say you sell anything, um, you're selling tables, um, and it's not just for the money. It's for, I'm going to sell two tables today. Next month, I'm going to try to sell five tables. The month after that, I'm going to try to sell 20 tables and I'll bring in some somebody to help me. And if you're thinking like that, then after a couple of years, you're going to be doing really, really well. You can quit your job and all that. Um, and I think then people start to be themselves more. You could be who you want to be. Um, you can think how you want to think because there's nobody that can take anything away from you, right? Um, whereas if you think a certain way in a, in a company, you might lose your job, you might not get the promotion, you piss off a, a, a boss or a manager and things, it, it gets very political. Um, so as a business, you are dealing with the politics, you have customers, they have politics, but when you go home, you know what you own, right? And it's like being a farmer. You a farmer has a certain pride in owning um, his or her farm and it produces uh, a yield. It produces, uh, you know, whatever the farm yeah. fruits and vegetables, but the farmer feels really good. They might not make a lot of money, uh, but they feel good that it's theirs and nobody can take it away. Um, and I think as humans, we are all psychologically wired to have that. Maybe not when you're 18 or 20, but by the time you're 30, 35, you're thinking, what do I have? Uh, that I own. That maybe belong. earlier. It may be earlier. Yeah. I mean, if you're a lot of people, it should be earlier, but the school systems in the U S kind of delay that. Right. Uh, Cause you're thinking, well, I'm going to go to college or I'm going to get out of high school. I need to get a job and you're ready or mm -hmm. not thinking about a business. And I remember you talking about the corporate world as a place that is too layered where people can't make their own decisions and, I remember you saying that it's it's not natural for people, for adults, to seek approval for each of their steps from other adults. This is not how business has been evolving historically. Yeah. And I think most humans, after a while, get tired of trying to um, please other people, especially if they're not family or they're not you know, you don't have a relationship with that person that was, um, you know, that was uh, of your free will. Yeah. So when you're working and you get hired and the person that hired you leaves and another person comes in and takes their position, all of a sudden you have a new boss. You never picked that boss. Um, and I think over time there's a mismatch in the chemistry, but people stick to their jobs because they need the money and things like that. They don't want to move around too quickly or if they say they just started that job three months ago or six months ago, and you now you have a new boss. Um, so I think that kind of builds up over time. There's this kind of resentment over time. And then there's all this, this management theory that people get promoted until they get to a point, a position in the, in the corporate ladder that they're incompetent and they can't get promoted any further, but they stay there. And mm -hmm. so what happens is 
under this management theory is that your all the managers are going to be incompetent. So you're competent at a certain point, and because of your competence, you you get um, promoted, and then you're not competent for that position, but then you're left there, um, and then it, what's what happens is then people end up reporting to that incompetent person, and they're competent in other things, but they're incompetent in that position, um, and so. And what their job then becomes is to do whatever it takes for them to secure their job, mm-hmm. right? And so that's where all the politics comes in. And then you have these employees that are dissatisfied. So you ask anybody, do you like what you do at work? And if they say yes, it's kind of strange. Like, why? Mm-hmm. Why, why do you love what you're doing? Because the company's making money off of you, right? So they're paying you $100,000 a year, whatever it may be, because they're making $300,000 off of you. And so why aren't you out there? That would anymore? be a good ratio. Right. <laughs> well, it Usually is. Usually, like, it's probably at, less, right? <laughs> no, no, it's more. It's, it's, it I, I mean, like a, a person is making a smaller percentage. I think it's like correct ten percent or something. Right. Usually, per employee. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, if you look at the profit margins, you're not getting a share of the of the profits. Yeah, you're saying a lot of interesting things. I, I, I like, I came up with more and more questions, but uh, we'll jump back for a second uh, to your day day routine, right? right. So. You wake up whenever you want, right? And do you exercise daily? Yeah, not not daily. Uh, I'll get into gym maybe on average three to five times a week. Okay. Um, and so, um, every day is a little different. Um, so I have membership in a couple of different gyms, and and so like it depends what I want to do that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do I'll go to gym, you know, not every day, but uh, most days in the week. Um. It doesn't work when I'm traveling. And traveling, it's it's chaotic. And you travel a lot. Yeah, I travel quite a bit. And so, you know, like maybe 70% of the year I'm traveling, right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, that limits the ability to like get into the gym. The hotel gyms are typically, one, if they even have a gym, it's not that great. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the heaviest weight they have is like a 40-pound yeah. dumbbell. And so, uh, but yeah. I won't get up and go to the gym first. I'll typically um, get up and try to get some sunlight um, and hydrate. Mm. And then um, I'm Huberman on, speaking here. What's that? Huberman, Huberman speaking yeah, here, right? Yeah, Andrew like Huberman. Sunlight. Shout out to Andrew Huberman. <laughs> um, and, and do some of those kinds of things. And then I'm working right yeah. away. I'm on my computer. I'm checking emails. Um, and I have a team in Vietnam. I have um, 60 developers there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's typically a bunch of things they're waiting on me for, mm-hmm. um, cause it's, it's getting to be evening there. Uh, and so I have to respond to them, um, early in the morning. Um, and then typically I go back to them, um, at night when it's their morning. Um, so it's just because of this, we I have a presence in Asia. Um, so that this, there has to be that interaction there. Yeah. Um, so that typically takes priority dealing with Asia takes priority. Um, and then whatever happens um, in New York that I need to deal with um, uh, comes next. Yeah. So, Well, we'll speak in a moment about your projects and all the things you're working on. Uh, yeah. what, I, what I got really curious about is that uh, you moved from a dark place into, into being really happy when you wake up right. and you really enjoy what you're doing. And at the same time, I don't hear how you actually managed to do this in a sense that you said that you cut like you're hanging out with friends right you travel 70 percent of the time which makes you a little bit in this limbo right in the limb um, and i'm just trying to imagine another person managing this type of lifestyle and being happy so do you do you know like what made your mental health better and how you are able to sustain it? Because it seems like almost impossible in this type of lifestyle to me. Um, I like my mental health um, was bad a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, now I don't think I have any mental issues. Uh, I might, according to a psychologist, right? Like, you but have a psychologist. I don't. I'm saying, but I, if I were to talk to a psychologist, mm. maybe they would identify something mm-hmm. that I'm not aware of. But I'm not depressed, mm-hmm. and I'm not anxious, and I'm not scared of the future. I'm not scared of dying. I'm, you know, like there's nothing. I, I'm not suicidal. I have healthy relationships. Um, 
I'm not somebody that gets into arguments with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- like there's nothing that really is bothering me. That's 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 yeah. a peace of mind. Yeah, I would say it's a peace of mind. And it, it it's a process and it's not a, it was not a planned process. It was me saying if there's toxic people around me then I'm going to like uh, I'm not going to cut them out of my life. Like I don't believe like like excommunicating people completely. If they ever need help, they can reach out to me. But like mm-hmm. certain people that were toxic, I try to remove them mm-hmm. and not really engage with them too much. Um, it, it could include some family members. Um, and so like the, the amount of interaction I reduce quite a bit. Um, and I don't get involved in things that don't matter. That Like if it doesn't apply to me, um, I try not to have an opinion about everything. I try to have very few opinions, as few opinions as possible. Like my job is not That's to, good. like, so you will, in the news, there's this issue, this social issue, that social mm-hmm. issue. I try not to have an opinion about um, any of it um, uh, until it's, uh, unless it's something very, very major, like um, changing how, how our country works and things like that. But um, I, I try not to have opinions. So I'm not burdened by frustrations that seem to exist in society today, especially in the U.S., where mm-hmm. people have there's polarity and because they have opinions and views and and they 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 see the other side as the opposite of them and there's this, all this and I try to stay neutral and that has allowed me to like um, be happy. You and know? it gives you this space and mental capacity to do other things. Right, and so you know I'm a technical person. I'm a coder. Like I've been coding for a long time. Um, the minute I feel like I need to like, uh, get away from people, I go, I go code, I start coding and -hmm. it gives me kind of this, uh, it's almost like prayer. Like it's a place, it's almost like meditation. Coding is almost like meditation. So I go there and I can get away for three, four hours a day, um, and build something. It's like doing art. Like you detach and maybe you're, you're, um, um, doing a sculpture or something like that. So coding is kind of like the sculpting and you see a result. Um, and it may be therapeutic at that point. So I think the combination of those things have allowed me to say, think like, I don't think I've got, um, nothing bothers me, you know, right now. Like there's nothing like, I, like I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I'm, I got bad thoughts. I have none of that right now. For now, that could change. You I'm know? happy for you. Thanks. Yeah. Sincerely. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Yeah. It could change, you know, it could change. Like of it could course. change tomorrow. Like so, you Nobody's know. ever protected against it. Right. Is the, the 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 universe can like slap me in, you know, <laughs> hey, you got cancer and like all right, and you know. No, yeah, actually, but then, then you will think uh, about it now. Even if a doctor said Jamil, like I thought about it, like, if a doctor said Jamil, you have cancer mm-hmm. and you have three months to live, I'm like, okay. You know, like what am I planning to do during three months, right? Right. And it's just gonna all right, what am I gonna do this three months and and that's it. And it might be painful a painful end, but It'll happen eventually, inevitably, right? Some kind of end that you didn't want to have, right? Most likely it's an end that you didn't plan. And so when it happens, it happens. So like my fear of death and all that's kind of gone. Uh, and I think that help, has helped me to um, focus on the things that I want to focus. And most of that is, is just business, you know? Right. So let's talk about business yeah. and <laughs> what's the business. No, you're getting into really interesting questions. I was almost thinking, how can I warm you up so you can open up? And right. now I'm we like, started with something dark, wow. right? And that maybe I didn't want to start with that, but we did. No, <laughs> he's like he's like saying things that I wish, you know, only only could wish he said. So that's that's really awesome. But um when I when I was when I was researching, like getting ready, so the first project uh, was uh Sai. Siphon. 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 Yeah. 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 That's a, so and and the, uh, can, I, can I just like really quickly comment yeah. in because it's really funny. So the first thing uh, that came up on YouTube when I put it there, that was Spinal Cord Injury Foundation in Nepal. <laughs> and I was like, I doubt that's the, that's the no, organization. No, so no, can no. you just uh, tell us a bit more about it? Yeah. So it's, it's a new name. So the original name of the company is called Chainhouse, mm-hmm. uh, which is a blockchain and AI advisory right so um but the name chain house for a lot of people don't they don't understand the word chain they'll ask me like like who are you going to chain how are you is it handcuffs and i'm like no it has because to do with like chains right it's chain <laughs> like it has to do with blockchain right and, yeah and so um we changed it to a general name 
So Siphon, S-C-I-F-N, is the science of finance, right? So just oh, condense it into Siphon. Yeah, that's where it comes from. So, and plus the dot com, the five letter dot com was available, mm-hmm. right? So we did all this research to figure out like how do we rebrand? And so Siphon is really this other company just getting renamed. We're still going through the renaming process. Mm-hmm. Um, the company's registered in Delaware. So we're, we're going through that renaming process. But the company um, does, we, we do advisory, we do development. We've got developers in Vietnam and, and now adding them to Indonesia. Uh, we do, um, we, we're building products. Um, we do a lot of education. We do a lot of courses and classes on all private stuff. All right. And so that's what Siphon is. Is it? But I started it um, five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the name is new. Uh, so if you Google Chain House, you'll find it, a lot of stuff there. But if you Google Siphon, you're going to get spinal cord stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so. Right. So you have your advisory products. You do also introduce two new courses, right? You do education. So one of them is called Certified Digital Currency Expert. And the other certified digital sovereign currency expert. Correct. Right. So that's so I run another organization called CBDC Think Tank, mm-hmm. which is a central bank digital currency think tank. We engage with lots of different central banks globally. Um, I started this three years ago, uh, and so a bunch of central banks um, at that time needed help, but they still do. Uh, try, try to understand well what's happening with the crypto space. Mm-hmm. How, how does it impact them? And so they're looking for advice and courses and education. Um, and that is what, um, you know, uh, grew. And so we do advise central banks. We advise governments. We advise um, private institutions. And that that entity now, by the way, is, is folding into Siphon. So Siphon oh, is okay. kind of be like a more... I thought Siphon is like private and CBDC tank is uh, government consulting. Yeah, it, it is. But like we're we're going to put it under one brand just because it's confusing to a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, it's, it's like yeah. a lot. Of... Are you doing three... Are you running three companies... Yeah, because it's really three companies because it grew organically. Yeah. And now we're just going to consolidate and put yeah. it under one. Yeah. So we do have that. practices cer- into one company. Right. Yeah, that's a good word, practices. Mm-hmm. Then, and, and, you know, those certifications will be for people that are willing to take an exam, kind of like the CFA, the Charter mm-hmm. Financial Analyst yeah. exam. So it's kind of similar because there's a demand for that in the market to get qualified people that do understand digital currency and not just put it on their LinkedIn that, oh, I'm an expert, but like have proven that they're experts um, by knowing the material and demonstrating that they know material. Um, so we're, we're rolling out that certification this year. This is super interesting. And yeah. I, I work at an educational think right. tank, right? So that's right. that's very similar to my field. So I was, I'm was i curious when you were researching uh, and coming up with this idea, how many how many students you're planning to teach a year and uh, what's what's the demand? The demand we didn't. The demand came to us because mm-hmm. I will not really roll out or create a new program or product until the demand comes to us. Say, hey, the banks are coming. Say, can you help us with this? Mm-hmm. And then from there, we we decide to ter- create a product. Right, that's the right and, way. Yeah, that's the right way. And so it's kind of demand based. It's not like me being very speculative and say, well, I think the market wants this, and and then it fails, right? And so mm-hmm. um, it's the uh, the customer saying. Um, do you know anything like this in the market? And we're like, no, but we can build it. And now we're building it, right? And so, you know, like uh, the number of people, like for this specific stuff, we haven't rolled it out yet, but we'll probably teach, you know, in a year for this digital currency certification, probably mm-hmm. 2,000 people a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other things that we teach, like AI, it's going to be much larger. Like just uh, two days ago, I did an um, online uh, course on, chat GPT, mm-hmm. right? And we had 2,000 people, right? That, that was just, it was just a two-hour course. Two-hour course. Yeah, and it was 2,000 people, right? And so, but 2,000 people will not be interested in digital currencies yeah. at that same, like, in the same course. Like, that, the demand is different. The market size is different. What do you think is going to be the length of the course and how much it's going to For the digital cost? currency? Yeah. Um, so, typically, we, we I think we typically do one-week boot camps. Mm-hmm. And they typically go for two thousand, three thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Um, 
And so this will go somewhere along that those lines. Yeah. yeah. But as a professor, you do believe in fundamental education, right? Yeah, of course. So yeah. you're not thinking that this is going to be replacing the uh, formal education. It's just supplementing it, right? right? I'm not saying like about a week, but maybe, you know, like there are so many boot camps now, right, which are sometimes half a year and people feel enticed, you know, to spend half a year instead of two years, for Correct. example. So yeah. can you speak a bit like about yeah, that? Yeah, so boot camps, like the boot camps, we do because it's targeting professionals yeah and they typically can't allocate a semester most professionals don't have that if they do they'll go and do their masters or something like that mm -hmm. um, so they're looking to wrap up and learn something in a month they're looking to like maybe get um, reading material uh, and to be able to prepare and go through that reading material let's say they go through 400 pages of re reading material and then they come into the boot camp and they accelerate their learning and then they're ready to maybe take an exam at that point, the certification exam, or maybe they study a little bit more and then they take the exam. So it's the same thing like the CFA. The CFA has these kind of things as well. When you do your CFA, the Chartered Financial Analyst, um, there are one-week boot camps that you can go. There are like six-week boot camps, but they meet you know one night a week or two nights a week and things like that. Our boot camp would be like nine to five, five days. You take a week off and you're you're you're, you're done. Um, and so I think th that's the market where we're hitting is these banking professionals that um, can probably take a week off, two weeks off at the most. Um, and it's very hard for them to take very more formal academic courses. Um, and it's a certification targeting professionals. Mm -hmm. And that's a you know different market than, let's say, academia is. You know. So academia, I think, you do have professionals going there. Uh, but that's, I think, more fundamental learning. What is the current state of academia in terms of blockchain, AI? Do you think it's corresponding and, and responding well to the market and what's going on in the world now? Or you think it's kind of lagging behind a bit? I think it depends on what country. I think that's a great question. It depends on what country. I think in the U.S. we're lagging behind. Um, what countries are in front of I, I would process? say maybe Singapore. Mm. is in front. Um, surprisingly, Vietnam. You yeah. want to think about Vietnam is it, um, in terms of their education system. Um, they're doing really, really well. So I think in general, Asia is doing really well. Yeah. Um, and they're bringing up really intelligent kids. Mm -hmm. um, you uh, like Asia, like both from the business perspective and uh, education. Yeah. I, I, from the business, team there. Yeah, the business perspective, it's hard to resist. Mm -hmm. uh, just because of the growth there. Um, and they, one of the benefits is that they like the American brand. So by going there and expanding there, it makes things a little bit easier for us. Um, and, uh, so, you know, like I bought a company last year, I bought a Vietnamese software development company last year. Um, um, and so like buying that company was so much easier and cost so much less than it would, let's say. I got 60 software developers in the U.S., which might cost me $10 million a year, right? And in Asia, it's a fraction of that. So I think the value proposition is there, and they're just as good as developers, let's say, in the U.S., right? The only difference is communication and time zone, right? Different mm -hmm. time zone. And their ability to communicate in English is, is a barrier. Uh, but I think com coming back to the education thing, I think Asia is doing really, really well. Uh, I think the U.S. is behind when it comes to blockchain and AI, when you talk to people, you just go out in the street and talk to somebody about artificial intelligence, they're gonna, they'll, they'll go to Hollywood, right? What comes into their mind is like Terminator and, <laughs> you know, Skynet um, and these kinds of things, right? And which is not really AI um, in its entirety. That's not the full picture, uh. right? And it's, it's um, and so that's because our education system has not embraced these things yet. Um, and you see regulators, the U.S. regulators are not fully aware uh, how blockchain works. They don't even fully understand how social media works, mm -hmm. right? If you look at there, some of the people that they interview, like the TikTok guys and the Facebook guys, they were um, asking some bad questions. Um, so I think we're we're behind. Um, I think, but other countries are, are moving ahead. Um, so we'll see. And you travel a lot, um, and you consult. Central banks, right? You consult. Yeah. Um, we advise them, yeah. 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 And uh, I, I was reading your interview uh, for Forbes, and you asked yourself a rhetorical question in it. And 
Um, it was like, if I assume some particular innovation is the norm in the world, what, uh, what would or could that world look like? Right. That, that just seemed interesting to me. Like if we imagine the world where every country has adopted CBDC, uh, is this a better place for the humankind? And what kind of financial world do you imagine as the most beneficial for each human being? Right. So that's, I, I, I mixed your question and my question, but yeah. um, can you answer this? Yeah, so for me, the way I look at innovation is I imagine a world where that piece of innovation is everywhere. And then what does that world look like? And if that's an interesting and enticing world that I want to be in, then that innovation will work. Whereas a lot of innovation has failed, right? So we, we built something and like blockchain is cool or crypto is cool. But what does the world look like where everybody's using crypto? Is it a better world or is it just the same thing? What is your opinion? Would, would um, that be a better world? I, so like, I think that's a big question, right? So it's not clear for like CBD. If you're talking about CBDCs, it's not clear if it'd be a better world or not, right? Um, it may be a better world if we use a decentralized uh, money system that has a token or whatever it is that has somewhat stable value, right? So like if I use, if I take $2 worth of that token or $2 of that and it buys me a gallon of milk today, it should buy me a gallon of milk next week as well, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to, um, for example, with Bitcoin, I can maybe buy a gallon of milk with it today, but then tomorrow I could buy a Lamborghini with it, right? Mm -hmm. Right, and because the value is just up and down, right? And or the day and the day after that, I'm broke, right? And so that volatility is I don't think is in, can exist in an ideal world, right? It's not a happy place. It's fun for speculators, it's for fun for trading, and we do we do trading, um, and making money off the trading, but it, for society they need society needs stability right so you need something that has value that is stable um so innovation that will be decentralized um is i think we could see, i could see it in the future where i'm going to a store and it's my money i earned it i control it um and nobody can take it away from me so the dollar that we have is not our property so when i go and get i go work and I get paid in dollars, mm -hmm. that dollars is actually not my property, right? The government theoretically, legally can take that away, right? Um, and I think that's a, a fundamental problem with money. Um, and so can I move to a world where um, if I own the money, that money intrinsically is mine, right? I own that money. Not am I just in possession of the money, I own the money, right? So um, the concept of ownership is, tough for a lot of people to understand, right? So you possess the money in your bank account, but do you actually own that money? Um, and that's a different thing. So mm -hmm. I think in an ideal world, people will own, own their money and any innovation that will get us there, I think will, will do well. Uh, well, whether CBDCs are gonna do that or not, I think we're not sure. I think nobody's sure. Uh, it might take us away from that. What do you think makes some countries more open-minded like and this this is a very interesting group of countries, right? It's it's very diverse. It's like Sweden, Uruguay, Kazakhstan. Yeah. Right. So, what is about people there or culture there that make them? Why don't we explore this option? I, I've seen this map on um, Currency Insider where uh, where you map like all the countries and their current stance. So yeah. It just doesn't make any like sense geographically or in any other way. So how do they? Well, I think like if you take the example of Kazakhstan, which um, the, the guy that runs the central bank um, component for the CBDC is a good friend of mine. His name is Bainur. Actually, what the central bank there has done, uh, NBK, National Bank of Kazakhstan, what they've done is like they've spun out a private entity, right, uh, which is called Pay Fintech. That's the name of that entity. And that private en entity does research and looks at innovation. Um, the problem with most central banks is that their mandate, their charter, their like how they're required to operate is that they can't take a lot of risk. And innovation is risky. Mm. And so what um, the Kazakhs have done is like they brought out this external entity, uh, spun it out. And in that entity, uh, they're doing all this kind of interesting work. Uh, and so mm. you have guys like Bainur that are doing they have like the appetite for innovation, 
whereas most central bankers don't, right? And generally, central bankers are like, mm, this is what we did yesterday. This is what we're going to do today, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so then it really depends on a few key leaders in each country to say, hey, um, I, I want to explore this. Um, and I know like in Kazakhstan, as well as other countries um, that we are involved with, um, selling the idea of CBDCs or some variation of CBDCs or digital currencies or whatever it may be to central bankers has been very, very difficult. Because the first I thing central imagine. bankers say is like, no, mm-hmm. like, you know, we're you know, like, first, like, what is this thing? Bitcoin, mm-hmm. we don't want, you know, mm-hmm. they misunderstand and then they, there's a process and things like that. So um, it really depends on a champion, somebody local, like a, in that country, there's a champion who says, you know what, I do imagine a different country five years from now, 10 years from now. Um, and um, so what Bainur was able to accomplish was like the president of Kazakhstan um, rolled out a mandate in three years, they're supposed to come out with a CBDC, right? That's a presidential mandate. Um, and they're, they, that he, he and his team, and I know many of his team members, they, um, in getting that mandate, that was their goal to get that mandate and they got it. Um, but now they've got to figure out how to actually get it done. And that's hard. Like, and you're helping them in it. Yeah. We, I mean, we advise them, we advise them, um, on design, how to, how to design it. What is this? What does CBDC look like? How does it look like? How do you, um, well, like when you're building these currencies, digital currencies, they have all these features that, and some of these features have problems. Like a CBDC could be interest bearing. So let's say I have money in my bank account. The money itself could like produce interest, mm-hmm. right? By itself. Like, uh, and so that's a feature and some banks want that. Some banks don't want that. There's huge economic implications to that um, and all that. For example, in economics, we divide money supply into like M0, M1, M2. I don't know if you're familiar with M3. And M0 is just cash, right? And the question is, is a CBDC M0 or M1 or M2? Like, what is it? And based on its features, we don't know where to place it. Um, And then the central bank might not even have the authority to issue a CBDC. Like they did some legal research in Kazakhstan and found out that the central bank doesn't even have the authority to issue a CBDC. And so there's some legal work that they will have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look at some of the reports that they produce, like my name's in the report, you can see that we, we've advised and things like that. Um, and um, we're doing the same for other countries as well, like in Asia, Europe, uh, Latin America. If you imagine that any leader of central bank in the world is watching you right now, what, what message would you give them right now? The message is the same message we give to them before, which is build your internal competency. Like um, build, like get your people to learn and get them. A lot of central bankers are some of the smartest people in the world because they're PhDs. They're, you know, like, man, they're coming out of good schools, right? It's not just guys from the street, right? They're really (laughs) strong, educated people. Uh, But also they might be too used to an existing system. Mm. So you're working at the central bank for 10 years. And the way that you see the world is the way that the central bank sees the world. And you might want to kind of step out of that. And so so go outside of your comfort zone and learn something new um, as it relates to the mission of the central bank um, and build the internal competency, like build an internal maybe innovation lab um, and test different projects and allow them to fail. Be okay with like, uh, you know, failure um, for a proof of concept. Let it fail. Um, and even through that failure, there'll be this enormous learning internally. And that's, that's what we advise central banks to do. Uh, and some of them are doing it and some of them have failed and they're learning yeah. and they're improvising. And I think that's great. And it seems to be a very good piece of advice for everyone, not just to central banks. Right. Build your internal competency. Right. Fail often. <laughs> Fail so, often. Yeah. Um, but there is, there is a book on, on, the, on like failing, on, on failure. And because that's the only way you can get to be successful. It's like, allowing the room to fail and so if if you don't fail you don't allow yourself fail that means you're not allowing yourself to try right and then therefore you're limiting yourself if you could reimagine your life imagine you're 20 now and you have no idea what's in front of you right would you do something differently than i did when i was 20 before yeah i would do everything differently everything everything 
Tell me. I think I wasted a lot of time. Um, you know, kind of like goofing around. Uh, oh, this person wasted a lot of time goofing around. Yeah, I think like you know, like there. I think there's. It's important to explore and like find yourself and things like that. But I think um, when you're 20, you think that you're gonna live forever. You do say, "Yeah, I'm gonna die one day," but deep down, you think that you're gonna live forever. Like the time moves slow. That's um, true. Right, and so one thing I've learned is to understand how time works. And when you're 20, you don't understand really how time works. You know how a clock works. You know it's nine o'clock and it's five o'clock and you know, but the, what does it mean when 10 years passes by? What does that mean? And what is, that, what is your relationship with a decade? Like understanding of that. And what is the outcome of that 10 year period, that decade? You look at it, what did I produce in those 10 years? And so my understanding of time now is different than it was when I was 20. But having the brain of a 20-year-old, maybe that's all I could possibly do, right? So going that's back- That's the point, I right, guess. Right, that's the point, right? And so maybe the exploration and that kind of goofing around has allowed me to come to this point. Uh, but if I were to go back when I was 20 with the brain that I have now, I would wake up and do exactly what I'm doing now, uh, and maybe take a little bit bigger risks. And- um, Would you go to uh, to the corporate world or you would start building your business right away? Um, I would probably go for a couple of years and then I'm done. To get experience, Yeah, right? to get the experience, yeah. And um, and then start build, uh, building a business immediately. You know, I, I think understanding that things that you do on a daily basis, they are additive. They accrete, meaning they accumulate, right? And doing the things that accumulate positive things in your life. Like when you go to the gym... You don't see a difference in your like your muscles the next day, right? Because there's a tiny amount of improvement, but over time that improvement accumulates. And the same thing with negative things, right? Over time, negative things accumulate. And so when you're when I'm when I was 20, I'm just looking at well, I could drink this um, Red Bull or whatever it was at that time, mm -hmm. and not and not thinking that over time if I keep doing that, it's going to harm me, right? And so if I were to go back to when I'm 20, I would figure out what are the positive things that I must do that accumulate, right? And so like having fun at a, uh, let's say going out to like on a roller coaster and having fun on a roller coaster, that experience doesn't accumulate, right? It adds right. nothing to the next day, right? It's huh? pure entertainment It's pure versus leisure. Correct. Where you actually train your brain. Correct. And they accumulate value, right? So I would focus on the things that accumulate value, maximize those, and then minimize the things that uh, accumulate negative value. Like for me, out drinking alcohol, things like those. Like I don't, I never used to drink. Mm -hmm. I don't, don't drink now. I don't ever plan to start drinking. But like, I would, I would not start um, drinking. I would try to avoid the things um, that accumulate and damage you physically, mentally, and all that, right? And so. Um, but I would do a better job of it than I'm, than I was doing when I was 20. It was leisure was the main thing I wanted. I just want to go hang out, have fun, go for dinner, go for lunch, hang out and talk, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, t meet with friends and talk about useless things and the pointless, right? What's the point? These are not deep things. You're just talking about watching a, a sitcom, some comedy show and laughing and talking about this actor, that actress, what they're doing, what, what this hip hop artist is doing. I don't really care right now. Like, it's like, Good for them. They're doing well, but it doesn't matter to me. What are you doing now in, in your free time? I know you told me once that um, even though you enjoy doing business, it doesn't matter for you. What matters for you is universe, right. time, yeah. right? You think about such big concepts. Yeah, for me, like, um, so I'm... I'm not interested in new experiences. Mm. I think I've done everything, most everything. I'm interested in new truths. Like what is true about the universe, about our existence and our place and like why are we here and things like that, right? And so um, I love I love the work that I do. I love doing business. I love all these things. My days for that. The minute I have time to to myself, I will spend time Um, reading things on astrophysics and quantum mechanics, um, books on logic and how logic works, right? Um, because I'm a coder, I started coding when I was 12. 
uh, my mind is oriented towards logic. It's like by coding, you your brain rewires to like understand logic in a different way mm-hmm. and actually makes you difficult to like connect with people because not everybody, most people are not logical. They're emotional, right? And so, right. Um, so I'll study like how logic works, the fallac- fallacies and things like that. Um, and I'm very interested in quantum mechanics because it kind of peels away reality and you tr- we're trying to get to the fundamentals of w- what is reality, right? Like what is reality made of, right? Um, and that might inform us in terms, in terms of who we are, what we are, uh, why we're here. And if we're going to go anywhere after all of this, if at all, right? And so like I'm looking for truths, right? Um, understanding like how black holes work and how they warp time and the concept of time going faster and slower. It's popular. Like you see these movies now, like Interstellar and things like that. Mm-hmm. But at a very, very deep level, most people, even scientists don't even fully understand it, right? Like the concept of time. We don't know what time is, right? We know when an hour passes, but we don't understand the concept of like the deep nature of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of things that we don't fully understand. And so for me, that is, I would say that is my passion. If I were to do, if I had a choice in terms of like completely starting from um, and, and not worrying about money, I would probably just be reading books, right? And teaching. That would be like perfect. Hopefully you become a professor of philosophy one day. Right. I would subscribe to your course. Yeah. That would be beautiful. The logic and the peace of mind in where they meet in time. Yeah. Yeah, but but you need to have a PhD these days, which I think is another problem, right? Because then you're trained a certain way. I think we need more people that can think out of the box. Yeah, right? maybe just a boot camp. Or do a boot camp, <laughs> two-day <laughs> two philosophy boot camp, yeah. Do a, do a retreat. $2,000. Do a retreat, right? Go outside, you know, go to uh, Costa Rica for two days, yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jamil. That was a very interesting conversation. Appreciate yeah. your time and... Uh, subscribe to our channel i don't know the name yet but we'll keep doing that's this. a great name i don't know the name yet <laughs> i don't know the yet. i'm sure there is something like this but this yeah. is nadia kugroshova with jamil shaykh yeah. and uh, see you later thank you so much <laughs>